Kansas City season unfortunately has ended. Fell this past weekend to the New England Patriots after going 1-5 to start the season. The Chiefs finished 11-5 in the regular season and 1-1 in the playoffs. Welcome into the Chiefs on Podcast. I'm Farzine Vesugian. Going to recap the Chiefs defeat, which... Feels weird because uh, we have not recapped a Chiefs loss in nearly three months, so I, I kind of forgot what it was like uh, to do this kind of a recap on, on, on a podcast, but we'll do it and get through this podcast nonetheless. Be sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, search for my Facebook page and give it a like, search for Farzine Vesugian and follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. Listen, I know Saturday night a lot of emotions ran high from fans, uh, you know, in, in, in moments like that, uh, you see social media posts, fans saying, oh, they want certain players gone, certain coaches fired after a loss like this. But I think it's just anger from uh, from a loss after a really hot run. I mean, everyone called Kansas City the hottest team coming into the postseason and uh, weren't able to continue this trend all the way through the playoffs. And I can, I, I mean, I, I get it. Fans should be. You know, sad and upset, uh, being able to not being able to make it to the Super Bowl because when you when you had a hot hand like that, at one point, what you know, what's the goal right at there at that point in time? You've got to make it to the Super Bowl. And look, not every team's going to make it. There are a lot of great teams that uh, have a great season and, and don't make it to the championship game. And you know, it's not the end all be all. I, I'm still confident in this franchise. We'll do it. We'll do this podcast on a. In fact, we'll do it uh, early next week. Uh, I'll do a re- recap of the season and then talk about the state of the franchise. But I'm, I'll say this right now. I'm very confident where this franchise is going. Three years with Andy Reid, all of those seasons have been above 500 with the Chiefs. Two of those years, they made the playoffs. One year falling just short. And a couple of mistakes were made in that season. Had they not made those mistakes, they could have been in the playoffs all three years. So I really love the dire- direction where this franchise is going and if you are a Kansas City Chiefs fan you should feel really excited uh, about this team and feel optimistic about this franchise for the next five years at least again this team started one and five and I know that the narrative was and I think the toughest part about that for from a Chiefs standpoint is that the Royals were in the playoffs and on their way to the World Series and not many people followed the Chiefs. Not many people even bothered with the Chiefs. Sure, they'd watch the games if they had the time, but you know, honestly, all the attention was surrounding the Royals at the K. And understandably so. I mean, they're in the World Series. They're looking to capture their first World Series in 30 years, looking to ma- build closure basically from last year's heartbreaking loss in Game 7 of the World Series. And they wanted to... The only way you improve from that moment is by winning the whole thing. So... Kansas Kansas City, uh, the, the baseball team, the Royals were able to do that. But the Chiefs, that's also when they started to get rolling. Uh, you know, they defeated Pittsburgh. They defeated the, the Lions in London. And uh, at that point, we saw this team kind of start that winning streak there. But a lot of people weren't really convinced yet. Then after the bye week, the Chiefs got that big win over the Denver Broncos. And that is when fans started to come back to the Kansas City Chiefs bandwagon, and and, and understandably so. I, I can get the frustration, a lot of people talking about Andy Reid uh, and his job security at that point, but the, the Chiefs found a way. And I, I said this earlier this season, Andy Reid proved that a turnaround can happen within a season. 
Andy Reid's proven if if you, I've learned anything about Andy Reid in the three years that he's been the head coach of this franchise. There's no excuses in the NFL. He turned a two-win football team to a 9-0 football team. The last team to drop a game in 2013 after a, a really a devastating 2012 season. One of the worst in franchise history. And Andy Reid could have easily gone anywhere else. Almost went to the Arizona Cardinals. But ended up coming to Kansas City. And it, it's remarkable. And again, as, as a Chiefs fan, I think we should feel good where this team is going under Andy Reid's guidance. I think that's the X factor right there. I think Andy Reid really, I mean, I I know he's not a player, of course, but heck, I'm going to say it. Andy Reid's my MVP the past three years for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I've said this before, the last Chiefs head coach to have a season above 500 for three consecutive seasons, that was Marty Schottenheimer from 95 to 97. 1995 to 1997. And Dick Vermeule, I heard him on Fesco in the morning. Uh, who we, We've had Bob Fesco, the host of that show on this podcast before. And Vermeule had said something to the effect of how, you know, he was ashamed that he could never bring that playoff victory. Or he was embarrassed. I don't remember the exact uh, diction he used there. But he said he was a bit embarrassed that he could not bring that playoff victory for Chiefs fans. And listen, by all means, I mean, Dick Vermeule brought a lot to Kansas City. That Just because he didn't want a playoff game doesn't mean he was a bad head coach here. I mean, the same could go with Trent Green. It doesn't mean he was a bad quarterback. So many people love Trent Green and what he brought to this franchise. Same with the other guys who played. Tony Gonzalez, Priest Holmes. I mean, regardless whether they won a playoff game or not, which they didn't, that doesn't mean that they were bad players, obviously. I mean, there are a lot of great players who don't want a playoff game for a long time. In Tony Gonzalez's case, uh, some some players, great players, don't even make it to the championship game. So for Kansas City, it's it's been an up and down year. I I, I think for a sports season, uh, of course, you had that great run with the Royals. Uh, I mean, sporting Kansas City has been good for those who really care about the sport of soccer, which a lot of people here in the city do. And then the Chiefs, off to a rough start, but they found a way to to get things together and. You just hope that we can see that 11-game winning streak Chiefs, that Chiefs team, continue that surge into 2016. We'll go ahead and recap the loss to the New England Patriots in this podcast in just a moment. Also, some coaching staff changes on the offensive side of the football for the Chiefs. Doug Peterson will be moving on to become the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles and uh, already reports as to who will... Uh, replace Peterson in Kansas City as the offensive coordinators. And yes, that was plural. I did say offensive coordinators. More on that later. Lastly, it is Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady for the 17th time. And a lot of fans have complained about this and have gone as far as calling the league scripted. And I'll explain why everyone is wrong in saying that the NFL is scripted. But nonetheless, we'll jump right into it to the Patriots game that took place in Foxborough this past Saturday. Patriots started off with a bang, and I think that set the tone for this game, marching 80 yards on an 11-play drive, uh, doing it in 4 minutes and 37 seconds. It sounds like a quick drive, but wasn't as quick as it looks on paper. 
Uh, the Pats had a lot of incomplete passes on that first drive right there. Brady not quite in sync with his pass catchers, especially early on, more so in the first half. Kind of happened in the second half, too. Uh, but looking at Edelman, who's uh, pl- who played in his first game back since Week 10, Danny Amendola and Gronk had missed a few games this year. But still, I, I don't think I don't think that's an excuse for some of the drops and incompletions that we saw. I mean, that was very uncharacteristic and surprising to see from a, a Patriots offense uh, led by Tom Brady. His target's not quite in uniform with him uh, at, at times. Still got the job done, though. I mean, that's all that matters at the end of the day. Uh, they scored on that opening drive, so you, you know, sure those woes. Don't really matter much, as long as you find a way to score and eventually win football games. Chiefs defense, though, this was something I was really surprised by. This defense had no answer on that first drive. I I thought it it would have improved as the game had gone on, but it really didn't. Uh, The only time the Chiefs actually got a hand on Brady, uh, I think it was DJ Alexander who was penalized for uh, unnecessary roughness. Uh, So the Chiefs really just didn't have an answer, And, and... Part of it had to do with Justin Houston only playing, if I'm not mistaken, eight snaps in this football game. Uh, But the Chiefs did respond uh, going 17 plays, 64 yards in eight minutes and 31 seconds, but got just a field goal on that drive. The Chiefs did force a punt uh, a couple of times. There was one instance where the Chiefs forced a punt after a three and out while trailing 7-3. Frankie Hammond Jr. runs 19 yards to New England's 36-yard line. And I tweeted right away, I said, not even a field goal. The Chiefs have to absolutely score a touchdown in this game. Listen, if you can grab momentum on the road in Foxborough against this Patriots team, that's huge. Not many teams have been able to do that against the Patriots at their own home turf. But the Chiefs didn't even get a field goal on that drive right there. So, in fact, they actually went backwards, uh, went backyard. It was a three and out. And what happened next was pretty interesting. Danny Amendola commits a really a, a, a dirty hit, uh, an unnecessary an unnecessary roughness call, pardon me, on, uh, I believe it was Jamal Fleming, uh, the penalty, I mean, the officials threw it, but it was only two yards because the Patriots were already backed up near their own end zone. And a lot of people said this on social media, and I agreed with this. Amendola was very fortunate he did not get ejected. Uh, and listen, props to the Chiefs. When you see your teammate get drilled like that uh, unnecessarily, uh, a lot of Chiefs players came up to his defense and got a, got a name in Dola's face saying, hey man, that's not cool. And you kind of saw things get a little more physical than it would usually be with other, in, in just a normal setting. Uh, Chiefs tended to uh, go after Amendola a little bit harder. You could notice that. And listen, that's that's just a human. I mean, I mean, we're human. It, it, it happens sometimes. When players get a little fired up. They don't like to see their teammates get hit like that, uh, especially when that, that could have been an injury right there. Uh but it didn't really tend to matter too much. A lot of people did compare it to Burfecht's hit a couple of weeks ago with, with the Steelers and the Bengals. And really what was an, an embarrassing football game to watch, seeing those two teams go at it. Fortunately, that it didn't turn into that kind of a game where the Patriots and the Chiefs were just trying to hurt each other back and forth. Uh, but either way, starting from the own uh, two-yard line for, for New England, Tom Brady and the Patriots... Doing Tom Brady and Patriots things, going 98 yards in five and a half minutes on an 11-play drive to score. Same amount of plays it took in the touchdown drive to open the game. 11 plays, so the Patriots seem to have a thing for 11-play touchdown drives in the first half. The Chiefs did get another field goal to make it 14-6 right before halftime. Uh, the Chiefs did open up with possession, and at this point, and I said this on, on, on the Facebook and Twitter pages, 
I said Kansas City's rushing attack had served them well. Sharkandrick West, I mean, he did pretty good. Niall Davis got a little bit involved. Alex Smith, uh, you know, the times he had scrambled, uh, he was able to make some things happen. Uh, Spencer Ware, he was active but didn't play. Just because you're active in a game doesn't mean you will play a whole lot. Uh, That's been the case a couple of times for the Chiefs, and unfortunately, Spencer Ware unable to participate in this football game despite being active. Uh, But still, with what we saw from... Kansas City's rushing attack, I I said the Chiefs need to go run heavy. It's just a one-possession game. It's an eight-point touchdown. They can make a game out of this and possibly tie and eventually take the lead. Uh, Alex Smith threw a pass to Niall Davis on that opening drive in the second half. Went for a first down, but Davis fumbled. And yes, that was a fumble. It it was really close, but the ball, you can see it slipping out. Uh, It's between his body and his elbow, and his bottom is touching the ground, and he does not have control of it at that point. It's on its way down. You know, he's he's got it between his body and elbow, like I said, and, and it's still moving all the way down out of away from his body. And uh, you know, a lot of Chiefs fans thought that was a bad call, but the officials did get it right. That was indeed a fumble. Uh, the Patriots gashed the Chiefs right after that fumble. Uh, and this is why the Patriots are such a great team, and this is what great teams do: take advantage of turnovers and turn them into points. It took just five plays. On a fast 69-yard drive, the Patriots never faced a second down on that drive. All of them first downs or a touchdown on that last play to cap off the quick drive. The Chiefs did respond, though, real quickly with a touchdown of their own soon after that. That was to Albert Wilson, uh, who who I think made a lot of good plays for the Chiefs this year. I I think the Chiefs want to take advantage of his speed and and do more with it. And and even without Macklin in this game, Macklin did play a couple of times, not too much. We'll get into that later. Uh, But even when Macklin wasn't part of the plan in certain plays throughout the season, you saw guys like Albert Wilson and Chris Conley step up. Chris Conley stepped up huge the previous week when Macklin went down with an injury. Conley came through with a touchdown reception in the end zone. And you feel pretty good about that because he's a rookie that came in to fill big shoes and help this offense go out there and put up six points. So I think there's some potential. Of course, a lot of people remember the fact that the Chiefs did not have a touchdown to a wide receiver in 2014. And you look at 2015 for the Chiefs. They had 12 touchdowns to a wide receiver in the regular season, 14 if you include the two playoff games. And listen, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a stat geek sometimes. I, I love uh, big, crazy statistics. So that's a 1,400% improvement from last year's total touchdown passes to wide receivers. So you can definitely see, I, I mean, to go from 0 to 14, and again, I'm, I'm including 18, all 18 games with the two playoff games, when you go from 0 to 14, that's a huge turnaround with, with your receiving core. And I know Jeremy Macklin was a big part of it. He had eight of those touchdown receptions, and a lot of them came during that 11-game winning streak. In fact, he actually snapped that drought for touchdown passes to a wide receiver in Kansas City. So you definitely want to build off that, too. And it, it was pretty tough to see Jeremy Macklin be sidelined for most of this game. I mean, he was mostly used as a decoy. And, uh, you know, Albert Wilson, uh, overall, when it was not Jeremy Macklin, Albert Wilson did some things for the Chiefs. And again, I love Albert Wilson's speed. I've noticed that since he came to Kansas City, and I really hope they take advantage. The Chiefs do have a lot of speed. 
on their offense. They really do. Guys like Jamal Charles, who hopefully can come back strong, which I'm optimistic about. He, he did it before with a torn ACL, so I'm sure he can do it again. Uh, when you consider Jamal Charles and the kind of quarterback that Alex Smith is, then you look at your wide receivers. Jeremy Macklin, who we all know is electric when it comes to speed. Albert Wilson, he, he's got a lot of talent at that when it comes to speed, can do a lot of special things. Chris Conley, also a very fast guy. Uh, Kendrick West also showed off his speed from time to time this year. And Travis Kelsey really does run like a wide receiver. Uh, he's one of the fastest tight ends you will see in the NFL. So I'm, I really love the, the, the speed dynamic that Kansas City has with this offense. And I think it fits Andy Reid's kind of offense. Uh, when you look at the way he runs the West Coast offense, it, it fits perfectly with these guys. And we saw Jamal Charles shine in 2013 when he led the NFL in total touchdowns. So hopefully the Chiefs can really take advantage of this speed that they have on their offense. Uh, I'm sure you know they're going to look for more of that in the offseason through free agency and the draft. Uh, but I think Albert Wilson is going to be a, an important part of the equation for 2016. But uh, as far as the game goes, uh, Patriots get back-to-back field goals. The Chiefs uh, find a way to prevent them from getting touchdowns uh, late in the game. Uh, so the Chiefs turned it over on downs, but the Patriots, again, went pass-heavy in the fourth quarter despite a two-possession lead and went three and out uh, a couple of times. They punted giving the Chiefs just another opportunity. The Chiefs got a touchdown on a really a long 16-play drive, a drive where the Chiefs got criticized for poor clock management. And just hearing the responses uh, that Andy Reid and Doug Peterson had provided, uh, I mean, Andy Reid was slow in getting the play in uh, right before the two-minute warning, wasted about 28 to 29 seconds uh, right before the two-minute warning. The Chiefs couldn't punch it in when they were at the one-yard line the first time. Uh, even went to a huddle inside two minutes, which uh, a lot of people were irate about. Andy Reid said after the game, either way, the Chiefs did score a touchdown, had all three timeouts, and had a chance to stop the Patriots and uh, an opportunity to get the ball back, which he's right about. I just think you would like to allot yourself more time in that situation. But listen, I, I mean, Andy Reid, he's in the, he's an NFL head coach for a season. He, he's been an offensive assistant for a long time. So, and listen, I'm not saying we can't criticize the guy. We're, we're, we'd all do those kinds of things. I've done it here on this podcast. But at the end of the day, I think Andy Reid knows what he's doing. Uh, Doug Peterson, and Doug Peterson was asked about this by the Philadelphia media, which, by the way, props to the Philadelphia media. I respect great journalism. I, I love journalists who ask good questions, the right questions. And uh, Doug Peterson was asked about this in his introductory press conference with the Eagles. And he gave kind of a similar answer that Colin Cowherd gave from Fox Sports Radio, something to the effect of how, sure, they may have wasted some time, but the thing is, and this is what Peterson said that not a lot of people agreed with, you want to keep them all away from Tom Brady. And I remember in week two of the 2014 season when the Chiefs and Broncos played in Denver, the Chiefs had a 10-minute drive that unfortunately didn't lead to points. It was it was a missed field goal. That was when Cairo Santos got off to a, a rough start in his rookie year but got going eventually and had a really fantastic season, by the way. Uh, but he missed a field goal, and that was the first drive of the second half. Again, Chiefs took 10 minutes off the clock, and that's also coming off halftime. And I think Jim Nance had read a statistic that in real time, Peyton Manning had not played on the field for 43 minutes and in some odd seconds. I mean, that's a, that's how you that's one big way of beating Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. And if you look at 
Peyton Manning in that game, Peyton Manning did look rusty in the second half. The Broncos didn't score any points in the second half, and I think that's partially due to the Chiefs holding him on the sidelines for so long. You saw Tom Brady, he couldn't do a whole lot in the fourth quarter. They, they couldn't cap this game away. So the Chiefs were alive and able to get the ball, or had an opportunity to get the ball back. Uh, the Chiefs go for the onside kick after Shark Kendrick West's touchdown. Uh, Tom Brady and the Patriots, they continue to go gutsy with the play calls passing in order to move the chains, and it worked. Tom Bahali had a hand on a ball. It was tipped and goes straight to Edelman for the game ceiling first down, and that is how Kansas City's season unfortunately concluded. 27-20 Patriots. Uh, again, nothing to, to hold your head down for. Uh, again, like I said, 1-5 this season could have been a lot worse, and Kansas City got hot at the right moment. Had it been one week later, the Chiefs may have not even made the playoffs uh, or would have ended up with a sixth seed. So the Chiefs got going when they had to. Uh, as far as this game, there were some missed chances. Uh, the Chiefs could have taken the lead when it was 7-3 to and they forced a punt and got possession. The offense started with great field position at the, at the New England 36 uh, thanks to a nice return from Hammond. But they go three and out. They lose a yard. Marcus Peters had a sure interception. And I think the Patriots were in the red zone at the time when that happened. It was a close call, but uh, unable to connect on that one right there. Well, not necessarily connecting. Uh, connecting for the Chiefs, of course. But Tom Bahali also had a hand on the ball. I just mentioned a moment ago. Bounce off his hands and goes straight to Edelman for that first down. Uh, the, the toughest part to take in is the fact that Kansas City's defense looked very different. Uh, this is not your characteristic Chiefs defense here. The pass rush wasn't there. The secondary had some trouble. Uh, in fact, the biggest stat to me from this game, Brady's average throw in this game, it took him 2.19 seconds. His average in the regular season was 2.35. 2.19, that's not enough to develop a good quality pass rush, unless the offensive line just completely lets you slip by, which... You know that doesn't happen in the National Football League nine times out of ten, especially with the and the Patriots don't have a great offensive line, but it is the Patriots. I mean, this is a team that will still do what it needs to do to come through and win, and the Patriots block good enough to allow Brady to throw in those 2.19 seconds. So there were a couple of times where Brady had to hold on for a long time, but very rarely did you see that from Tom Brady in this game. And uh, l listen, the only way to beat an elite pass rush it's to throw quickly. Uh, that's something that uh, Peyton Manning did uh, when the Chiefs were 9-0 in 2013. Chris Clark was an offensive ta backup offensive tackle who had to play in that game, but did enough to block, and Peyton Manning uh, got rid of the ball quickly than, than usual, but did enough, and that's how we had to adjust to this Chiefs team. I, I, I said last week on the podcast, Belichick knows the pass rush is coming and that the Patriots would have to adjust and come through with short passes, and that's exactly what they did in this football game. Now, I, I still thought the Chiefs would have got, gotten to him a couple of times, but uh, that ended up not being the case, unfortunately. Uh, as far as injuries, I mentioned Justin Houston had that nagging knee injury, only played in eight snaps. Spencer Ware active, but did not play in this game. Jeremy Macklin was very limited, targeted just three times, caught two passes for 23 yards. Jason Vaughn uh, stepped up in this game, had four catches for 69 yards, including that nice uh, reception he had uh, when Alex Smith uh, uh, avoided the pass rush. A, a couple of sacks, too. 
to keep that play going uh, and keep the drive alive. I think that was a fourth down play, too, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the only time Avon had four catches in a game this year was against the Bengals. He caught passes in just six other games. Uh, he had two catches in five of those six games. And in the other one, he had just one reception. He caught passes in seven games altogether this year, plus an additional game where he was targeted. So eight times altogether he was targeted, caught passes in seven games. Was not targeted last week in the playoff game against the Texans. Uh, so kind of surprising that Jason Avon came through. Again, you, you see Jason Avon have a good game like that, and you hope that he comes back, who, who by the way, will be a free agent, and you hope that maybe he can do that. I mean, listen, this is a guy who... Played under Andy Reid for a while, so he understands the offense and the system and is a great leader and a great veteran to have, but you have to wonder, I mean, does Jason Avant want a bigger role with another team? I think with a game like this, uh, you want to use it as leverage, but we all know in the NFL, uh, we, we can't judge a guy just off one game. We, you've got to look at a season, too, and... I'd like to see Jason Avant back here in Kansas City. I really would. I, like I said, he knows Andy Reid's offense very well. I think he'd be a great leader. Uh, but and, and I hate to see this, but I think he could be a guy who could be a good mentor. And I don't want to say a player can be a coach because they're they're not they're they're not play, coaches. They're players, obviously. But I think there's a difference between a mentor and a coach. And I think for Jeremy Macklin, or pardon me, Jason Avon, and I'll even throw Macklin too, but he's not as, he's not, he hasn't been in the league as, as long as Avon has, but I think he's at the point now where he can even be a leader and guys go up to him for advice. But if you have Macklin and Avon, I, I just think those are two good guys who people, can, the receivers can lean on, and even the rest of the offense learn from these guys. You know, sometimes I think, sure, you can be around the best coaches, but if you're around good leadership too, I think those players can help just as much. Maybe even a, a little bit more, especially in training camp when you're rooming with some of these guys. You can learn a lot from them. You pick their brain as much as you can. So I really do hope Jason Avant comes back with that kind of a role for 2016. Travis Kelsey, by the way, a very, very quiet game here. Uh, six Six passes for just 23 yards. And I know a lot of Chiefs fans felt optimistic that Kelsey was playing, even though Macklin, who we all, I think we all saw it coming, would not been a, be available as much for this game. But listen, it, Kelsey and Macklin need each other uh, on the field. Defenses have to pick their poison when they face a good tight end and a good wideout. If one or the other is unavailable, it's so much easier for defenses as they can focus in on just one guy. Uh, and, and keep them quiet. And that's what happened to, to, to Kelsey a few snaps in this football game. Uh, I mentioned the Chiefs defense uh, out of sync. Uh, not going to get too much into it since we kind of mentioned it throughout the recap. Uh, Alex Smith was also out of sync too. 29 of 50 for 246 yards. Uh, sacked once. No turnovers from him this week. Uh, but I had a, had a hard time connecting with rece- receivers in this game. And... You know, I mentioned Travis Kelsey caught six passes but didn't get a lot of yards in this game. ESPN had made a big deal about how both Kelsey and, and Rob Gronkowski are really two of the best tight ends when it comes to uh, receptions after the catch. Both have great speed as tight ends, the top two in the NFL, really, in those categories. And it, it, it was hard to see Travis Kelsey not be able to play at the level that we know Travis Kelsey can play at. 
Nonetheless, the season is over. Again, nothing to, to hold your head about uh, because the Chiefs were 1-5 and five and they found a way to turn this team around. Uh, we could have been doing a podcast two weeks ago about what the Chiefs are going to do with a top 10 or top 5 pick. Instead, uh, we spent a couple of weeks on this podcast talking about playoff games. And one of them being a playoff victory. The Chiefs, of course, got their first playoff game uh, victory, I should say, in 22 years. And... Also got a, a 10-game winning streak in the regular season. The Chiefs had never won 10 games in the NFL. They had won nine games on multiple occasions to start the 2003 season and the 2013 season. They won nine games during this regular season, but then extended that to 10 games. So the Chiefs able to do that for the first time in franchise history. With the season over, the Chiefs will pick 28th in the NFL draft. Doug Peterson, I, I mentioned he'll be moving on to the Philadelphia Eagles. In uh, the Chiefs need to get to work with free agents because they'll have 22 and the top four players on that list are Eric Berry, Sean Smith, Derek Johnson, and Tom Bahali. In fact, six defensive starters will be free agents and if they don't have a new deal by March, and I, I mentioned a couple of those guys, Barry Smith, DJ Hali, and the other two starters, by the way, Jay Howard and Mike DeVito, the defensive linemen who both had good seasons up front helping Kansas City have a strong front seven, uh, if these guys don't have new deals, they'll be available in the market. Tyvon Branch, Hussein Abdullah, uh, those guys started a few games throughout the season, but for the most part were backups, but were very active non-starters for the Chiefs in rotation with the safeties. Uh, Branch uh, actually played more while Abdullah was absent for a few games, really came through with an interception and a fumble recovery for a touchdown within a three-week span to help Kansas City in some situations to either put the hammer down on the Oakland Raiders or uh, extend a lead against the Baltimore Ravens. So Tyvon Branch did that. Hussein Abdullah, I think, has really done a good job playing good cover defense as a safety. And playing next to Eric Berry, who, uh, by the way, I'll mention this in a moment, uh, just won a Walter Payne Man of the Year award, which is great for him because the kind of season that Eric Berry had uh, coming back from cancer, came to, into training camp, uh, you know, had gained one pound after everything he had gone through with chemo treatment, and to see him have the season he did was great. I mean, Eric Berry, uh, what else can you say about the guy? You guys know my thoughts with the Comeback Player of the Year award. You know, I've said that it, it cannot go to, to a guy based off why they were away, because Mike Vick won this award in 2010. Uh, I think there are three great players Worthy of this award, Carson Palmer, Adrian Peterson, and Eric Berry, and regardless why they were away from the game of football, more specifically Adrian Peterson because of uh, what he had done, allegedly, to a child, uh, he's still eligible for the award. Again, Mike Vick won this award in 2010. Uh, so you never know, but regardless whether he wins the award or not, it doesn't take away the, from the fact how he's been able to bounce back this season for the Chiefs and really helped out in a big one of the best safeties in the NFL going back to the Pro Bowl also named an All-Pro just a remarkable season and again I mean it was November of 2014 when Eric Berry had just learned that he had a mass in his upper chest some discomfort there and then learning it was Hodgkin's lymphoma and everything he went through to beat cancer it was a long process I'm sure and now for Eric Berry, I, I, it's time to time to rest a little bit. Uh, you know, he uh, of course there was. I'm sure there was a lot of emotional stress with with things that he had gone through. I mean, it, it's not easy to, to to go through what he went through, and of, I'm sure there, there was a lot of fear too within him and his family. But at the end of that the day, he toughed it out and came back strong. So 
Got to give it up to Eric Berry and everything he did this year for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think he's earned himself a good rest this offseason and hopefully can uh, do it again in 2016 with the rest of this defense. Some of the things the defense did and hopefully do a better job against some of the teams. And I'll get into this more in the next podcast when I recap the season. But the thing that I take issue with the most with this Chiefs team is that they did great during that 11-game winning streak. But when it came to some of the top-notch offenses, like the Patriots this past weekend or Green Bay, Cincinnati, uh, during that five-game losing streak, this defense looked different. And you want to see this defense play the same in every single game, regardless of the opponent. And, And they did that in 2014 against some really great offenses. It's just they weren't able to do that in 2015, and you want to see them be able to do that against some of these elite offenses because this is a Chiefs defense that nobody wants to face. And I'm sure if you talk to all the quarterbacks this year that went up against this Chiefs defense, they won't have anything but great things to say about this defense and how challenging it is to go up against these guys. I want to talk about Doug Peterson for just a moment as he will become the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. And I don't want to get too much on this. Obviously, you want to see him succeed uh, since he is from, uh, or, or not from Kansas City, but did coach the Chiefs. Uh, yeah, that's the best way to put it. Uh, I think it's interesting that the Eagles franchise fired Andy Reid uh, just a little over three years ago, and now they hire an assistant from Reid's staff in Philly who followed him to Kansas City. I think that should tell you that the Eagles definitely regret letting Andy Reid go And I've said this a couple of weeks ago when Chip Kelly was terminated. You never want to fire a head coach and then fire his replacement because that just ends up being a failed experiment. Unfortunately, the Chiefs went through that after Dick Vermeule's retirement. They had Herm Edwards. Didn't pan out well. Let him go. Todd Haley came in. He didn't do well. They let him go. Romeo Cornell was here for just one season. They let him go. So the Chiefs fired three coaches, uh, none of them getting more than three years in it feels good to finally have a head coach who, by the way, Andy Reid, uh, since Dick Vermeil is the longest employed in terms of how many days and uh, years, he's the longest employed Chiefs head coach and uh, coached the same amount of games as Herm Edwards uh, if you exclude the preseason, but uh, Andy Reid should uh, be on his way to his fourth year and then be the longest tenured head coach since Dick Vermeil. So, uh, listen, when you look at... The- Look at it from an Eagles perspective. I think a lot of Eagles fans really wish they had Andy Reid back. Uh, I, I'm sure there might have been some some memories coming back with that play calling or, or the clock management against the Patriots when Eagles saw that this past weekend. But still, that doesn't take away from the fact what Andy Reid's done to be successful for so long in the National Football League as a head coach. So I think Andy Reid, I'm sure he's going to learn from his mistakes and try to move on from it and do the best he can with his uh, new offensive staff, which I'll touch on shortly. Uh, Overall, I I mean, in terms of Peterson, though, I I think he'll help the Eagles offense uh, do a little bit better defensively. It's always a legitimate question mark when a coordinator is hired as a head coach and people wonder about the facet of the game that he does not have a lot of expertise on. But listen, every assistant has had to have been hired. Uh, Belichick was an assistant at one point. Andy Reid was an assistant at one point. And these guys eventually get more familiar with the game every day. And, you know, they coach up the other side of the football more and more, which they didn't do as an assistant. So I, I think Doug Peterson, he's got to get start somewhere. Uh, you know, I think a guy like Adam Gase in, in Miami is going to do a lot of great things. A lot of people have wanted him for a couple of years now, and I think he's definitely earned it. So 
overall, I, I, I think Peterson will find some success in Philadelphia, but I still think there might be some concerns there. Nonetheless, uh, you certainly hope he does well uh, after what he did here in Kansas City to help this team, uh, as he had a big hand in the play calling in the second half of the season to help the Chiefs build an 11-game winning streak. As far as Kansas City goes, reports are that Brad Childress and Matt Nagy will be the co-offensive coordinators for Kansas City. And co-offensive coordinators, uh, it's common in college football. You'll see it uh, with some college football teams, but you don't really see that much in the NFL. I think really how this might be handled, uh, possibly Brad Childress would be the official offensive coordinator. And maybe Nagy has some coordinating duties, but he just might not have that title uh, next to his name there uh, when you look at the Chiefs website or the Chiefs coaching staff list. Uh, but overall, I, I think this is a smart move here. Brad Childress was the offensive coordinator for Andy Reid in Philadelphia. And let's not forget, the Eagles went to a Super Bowl at the time there. So uh, if anything, uh, this is a good hire. And, you know, like Doug Peterson, and I said this last week when I was talking about some of the Chiefs who were being interviewed for uh, jobs, a general manager job, and a head coaching job. When you have success like this, you're going to have assistants and guys from your front office get interviewed for bigger jobs, bigger opportunities, and that's understandable. Uh, Brad Childress, I'm sure he wants to be a head coach again in Minnesota. Kind of an up-and-down experiment, mostly positive. He did make it to an NFC championship, uh, but couldn't make it to the Super Bowl. But overall, I think Brad Childress uh, would be a great offensive coordinator. Again, you saw him uh, do it with the Philadelphia Eagles for a few years and able to get to the Super Bowl. So I think this is a good hire for the Chiefs if they follow through with it. I don't think it's been official yet, but I think that's the move that the Chiefs are going to lean towards. But speaking of the Chiefs coaching staff, Andy Reid will coach in the Pro Bowl. Uh, he and his staff, the offensive staff here in Kansas City, and obviously this is excluding Doug Peterson because he's got to get to work with the Philadelphia Eagles, but uh, the rest of the coaching staff for the Kansas City Chiefs, they will be at the Pro Bowl, which is pretty cool. I mean, if you're not going to be in the Super Bowl, take advantage of the opportunity to be part of the Pro Bowl. Uh, players love it. They really do. They, they take their families, their kids, uh, especially the Hawaii experience. I know the NFL didn't do that for one year, but that's always a fun experience to, to go through, so... Uh, and, and you'll see some of the Chiefs there this year, and depending on who makes it to the Super Bowl and who doesn't, there might be some of the alternates, guys like Alex Smith and Duntari Poe, who were announced as possible alternates, same with Derek Johnson, who might end up being available and play in this year's Pro Bowl. And the last bit of news I wanted to get into, I mentioned this already, Eric Berry winning Walter Payton Man of the Year uh, got, got the award, which I think he's very deserving of it. He is the sixth Chiefs player in franchise history to earn this honor. Willie Lanier and Len Dawson both won it in the early 70s. Uh, Dawson got it in 1973. Lanier was the first player in franchise history, getting it in 1972. 20 years later, Derek Thomas got it in 1993. And then 10 years later, Will Shields won the honor in 2003. Brian Waters, another offensive lineman, got it in 2009. And Eric Berry will have it in 2015. Uh, and will be honored before Super Bowl 50. So it's going to be really cool seeing Eric Berry, a, four, a, a Chiefs player, uh, a guy who will, of course, represent the franchise while he is there, and uh, he'll get the trophy right before the game. And I'm sure there's going to be a big ovation. Uh, there was a huge ovation for him at Arrowhead uh, on Thursday Night Football when the Chiefs had their home opener against the Broncos. Uh, they introduced all the players uh, with their positions and, and uh, having them come on the field one by one, and then they introduced Eric Berry last, and Arrowhead erupted. It's funny, because there was a lady sitting a couple of rows in front of me. He was She was wearing a Broncos jersey, 
and was flipping off all the chief, Chiefs players one by one. Uh, but when Eric Berry came out, I mean, the, the flipping off and the booing stops from her. In, in fact, I saw a lot of Broncos fans who uh, stood up and uh, applauded Eric Berry, and I think that was uh, a really cool moment to see uh, for for Eric Berry and just to see him get the ovation he deserves. So I'm sure he's going to get that same ovation uh, right before the game at Super Bowl 50. All right, almost done with this podcast, getting through this here on the Chiefs Zone Last segment we're going to do right here, we're going to go around the NFL. All right, I said this at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, a lot of fans complaining that the NFL is scripted, so to say, and I just don't know if I agree with that. I, I really don't. I, I think it's just maybe anger or some frustration from, from fans uh, over the fact, the fact that their team's not in. Listen, the fact is that in the AFC, the past, what, I would say 14 or 15 years, the New England Patriots and the Colts and the Broncos, whoever Peyton Manning is playing for, have really just been the more dominant teams. It's been the Patriots and a Peyton Manning-led team. And I'll put it that way. So, I mean, those guys are... are, are listen, I just don't think it's scripted. I, I don't really know what to say of that. I said it on social media, and so many fans disagreed with me. Listen, these guys are tabbed as future first ballot Hall of Famers. So there's a reason why they keep coming back to the AFC Championship game. So it's not scripted by all means. We're just seeing that these two great quarterbacks, and I know Peyton Manning hasn't had a great year, but nonetheless, he is Peyton Manning. You never know. He could come back at any time and lead a team down on a game-winning drive. Overall, these are your top two QBs in the AFC the past 14, 15 years. And I don't think it has anything to do with the league being scripted or wanting another uh, Manning versus Brady for the 17th time. These are just two guys who have been really good and have formed a rivalry despite never playing in the same division. One thing that bothered me this past weekend, Odell Beckham Jr. was tweeting, taking a shot at Josh Norman. And the Bengals also took a shot at the Steelers. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. did this when Josh Norman allowed a touchdown, and the Bengals, a couple of their players, did this after the Steelers lost to the Broncos this past weekend. There's a reason why you're on the couch tweeting and those players are in the playoffs playing. Listen, if I was a professional athlete or or collegiate, high school, whatever, I would just never be a trash talker uh, unless I could really back it up. But even then, I, I just don't think it's... If some players, it's fun. I think there's some friendly trash talking that happens. But some players just really want to get under someone's skin. And listen, if you're not in the playoffs right now, by the way, Odell Beckham Jr., as great as he is, not taking anything away from him, he has yet to play in a playoff game. So don't go taking shots at Josh Norman, who, by the way, beat you when the Panthers and the Giants played. Maybe not on the field one-on-one, but still, the Panthers did beat you at the end of the day. And you're not in the playoffs. Same thing goes for the Bengals. The Bengals gave away a big lead. Or I don't want to say big lead, but basically a lead with just a little bit of time left. And they're taking shots at the Steelers? Come on. The NFL overtime rule. What do you guys think of this? Clay Matthews was complaining about it after the game. And I think it had more so to do with the coin toss controversy because the coin didn't flip. Which is kind of interesting. You've never, you don't ever see that. Listen, Clay Matthews would not be saying this if the Packers got the football first and scored. And no NFL fan will complain about the overtime rule as long as their team wins. And listen, 
I, I really hate the complaints that people had in the past about how teams did not have a fair opportunity in overtime. You had 60 minutes. You had 60 minutes in regulation. I love the sudden death rule. It's kind of like soccer, the golden goal, whoever scores, you win. In the NFL, in, in football, trust your defense. If not, go for the onside kick. I don't know. I love the sudden death rule. I, I really wish they kept it. And people only complain about this if they don't win in overtime. That's really how it works. I mean, the league changed the rule, and now we're seeing teams actually being forced to go to the end zone to try and seal a game. If they get a field goal, the other team has an opportunity. That was a, a rule only for the playoffs, but we never actually saw that happen. Tim Tebow did throw a touchdown on the first play of overtime when he was with the Broncos, but he got a touchdown out of it on the first play, so we never actually saw a team kick a field goal and give the other team an opportunity. The NFL just went ahead and made that a rule for the regular season. Last thing I want to talk about for the Around the NFL segment, Jim Nance and Phil Simms. I don't know who to blame for this one. Here's what happened. To recognize boys and girls from local NFL flag leagues who represent more than 300,000 athletes playing NFL flag powered by USA Football. To find a league near you, visit NFLflag.com. All right, Phil, we start the fourth quarter here. The Broncos accepted that penalty. Yeah, yeah, let's uh, let's forget about that awkward noise and talk about how the Broncos accepted that penalty to, to, now that we're in the fourth quarter. Uh, a lot of people are accusing uh, them of a fart noise. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think any of that. Listen, I, I think even if you did that, the microphone's not going to pick it up. Uh, I, I'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe there was a balloon in the room. Maybe someone from the CBS truck had a mic on uh, that, w- that could go over the broadcast, over the airwaves. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe Jim Nance, he got done reading the script for the NFL flag football and said, Hey, Sims, in five years, the NFL might turn into flag football. <laughs> you get my drift. Maybe he turned off his mic, made a joke, and uh, it, it's that uncontrollable laugh that Phil Sims had because he knew he was on air, so he was trying not to laugh. I don't know. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe he said, Hey, Phil, maybe the Cleveland Browns just got these players. <laughs> I mean, we've all been there. We've all been in situations where maybe we were trying to avoid laughing in, in a quiet place, and then we just happened to do the the uncontrollable laugh right there. I mean, we we just try not to. It's happened. It's happened to me many times. I'm sure it's happened to all of you. So I, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't think it's what everyone thinks it is. Uh, maybe it was a balloon. Who knows? Maybe maybe Nance was playing with a balloon. I don't know. Who knows? What I do know is that we'll continue the podcast here in the offseason, so don't go anywhere. Keep in touch with the podcast. Next podcast, I'll talk about free agency and early look at the draft. Throw up early possibilities at the who the Chiefs might go after with the 28th pick and in free agency. Uh, I mentioned some of the players in free agency from the Chiefs. I'll do a preview of Kansas City's offense, defense, and special teams for 2016 and what the roster looks like right now before re-signing free agency and the draft. I will say this. Tom Mahali is a player who I said earlier will be a free agent. I'll explain to you why he should be re-signed. I'll say for how long and how much and what his role would be. What I think would be best 
for him and the Kansas City Chiefs moving forward. All of that on the next Chiefs Zone podcast. Be sure you guys do follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. Like my Facebook page, Farzine Vesugian. And be sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Until then, I'll talk to you guys later next week.